Thank you for listening to the Sermon on the Mount, God's Everyday Kingdom, a sermon series from Doxa Church. Join us each week as we explore God's vision for human flourishing in His kingdom. For more information, visit us Sunday mornings in Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at doxa-church.com. Matthew 5, 1-12 Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Man, I love this, don't you? Like, hopefully by the end of the year, all of us will have the entire Sermon on the Mount memorized. Don't you? Wouldn't that be great? Like, you could be walking around going, okay, we heard in Daniel what it looks like to be a people in exile, and then we spent an entire year figuring out how to live as those people in a way that displays what God is like in all of life. And we're constantly thinking about it, and it's running through our mind every single day. Wouldn't that be great? Are you guys awake? Yeah, all right, good. My name's Jeff. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. I'm going to open up the word with us today and talk through this passage that we just heard. Before I do that, I want to make sure you're, you're fully aware of an event I really would like as many as you to be a part of, which is called Saturate Every Day. On April 21st, we are going to have in this building training from, coffee will be at 8, but probably 8.30 to 9 to 4.30. So it's a full day training around what it looks like to be disciples of Jesus and the everyday stuff of life together in community. So that's what our church is completely about. And we want to make sure you get the best training possible. Please take seriously this opportunity. Uh, you can text in, saturate to that number. By the way, if you put a space before it or after it or any other word, it won't work. So if you don't get a text immediately back, you did it wrong, okay? But I really, I seriously want all of you that can to be at this training. It's for, it's for our whole region. It's not just for us. We're opening it up. But Doxa people get to go free. So you'll want to make sure you put in the code that you see up there. Uh, that's not what you text in. Comp Doxa is not what you text in. That's what you'll put in when you register to give you free uh, registration. All you have to do is pay for your lunch. Make sure you think about that, okay? So want to make sure you know about that. All right. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Uh, it, it's really important, by the way, as we think about this text today, and you hear these two blessed statements that we understand 
that these statements serve as a bit of a bridge into the rest of the entire sermon Jesus is going to give us. In fact, if, if you look at the, the two ways Jesus says blessed, it'll give you a clue. First of all, he says, blessed are those who are, that's our identity. The last several weeks, we've said, who are the kinds of people who are flourishing? That, that's really important. We've been talking about every single week. Who, what are those kinds of people like? And in a sense, who are we? Then you hear Jesus say, blessed are you when? That's a shift. So it goes from blessed are those who are to blessed are you when? And what you're going to see is he's going to spend the rest of his sermon describing what flourishing people do, how they live. He's going to move from identity to purpose or practice. That's really important because this particular text today is the bridge between those two worlds of who we are and how we live. And Jesus wants to properly prepare us for what is going to be the inevitable experience of somebody who truly is the kind of person who flourishes and lives the kind of life that is flourishing. And what's really important to know as we take this turn from ending the Beatitudes today to moving into the the large bulk of Jesus' message, the way of the kingdom, what's important to note is that Jesus wants us to see that flourishing people are sent to bring flourishing work into the world. That's what he wants us to see, that the, the people who are blessed, the people who are flourishing, which is the word we've used to understand this idea of blessed, those people, the flourishing people, are the people who bring flourishing work into a world that desperately needs it. This is what Tripp was just talking about in his story, bringing that to the workplace. Now, what's important to recognize is if and when you and I do that, you will suffer. That's really important to get because if, you, you, if you're surprised by the idea that not everybody's going to like it and not everybody's going to accept it, then you're going to be caught off guard when it happens. And the one thing I love about what Jesus does in his preaching is he never ever tells a lie and he never ever hides the truth. He always says, I want you to be fully aware of what I'm about, what it means to follow me, and what's going to happen to you. I, sometimes I think we need to do a better job of that in the church saying, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, just so you know, you're probably going to die. Right? I, we should just tell people the truth that it's going to cost you something. Because if, if it cost our king his life, you would think his kingdom would also be a kind of kingdom where people are going to have to give up their lives. That's kind of how it works. When Whatever your king is like, the kingdom is like. In fact, in order to understand this text and why it's actually flourishing, why you would consider yourself blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're going to have to understand three key themes that we're going to see through the entire uh, sermon throughout the rest of this year. Three themes. One, what is the kingdom of heaven? If, if you're blessed for when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You better understand what that means. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Second, what is righteousness? We've talked a lot about that. I just want to make sure we're really clear on it before we go into the rest of the sermon. And then third, why suffering? Why does Jesus want us to be aware of that? So first of all, the kingdom of heaven. It's important to recognize that the kingdom of heaven is the expressed and experienced rule of God, rule and reign of God on the earth. 
I'll say that again. The kingdom of heaven is the expressed and experienced rule and reign of God on the earth. That's the, the idea that you're experiencing God's rule and reign in your heart. You're experiencing God's rule and reign in your relationships. You're experiencing God's rule and reign in the places you go. That's the kingdom of heaven. To be clear, the kingdom of heaven is not a place you go to. Okay, it's, it's, it's not where we go to, to experience God. It's, it's God coming to earth to bring that experience to you. Okay, that's really important to get because so many of us have been brought up with this idea, man, someday I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. And we think that when we hear the words kingdom of heaven, we think that's what it's talking about. It's just a future reality, which it is, to be clear, it is, but it's not only that. Maggie, the other day, yeah, I think it was yesterday, actually, she said, this is my youngest daughter, sitting in the front row. Uh, she said, I, I kind of want to see God, but I'm not ready to die yet. She didn't just say kind of, she said, I really want to. It was like urgent. And I, and I thought to myself, like, that's probably a lot of us. We're like, man, I just want to see him now, but I want to die yet. Right? And we might agree with Paul to, to live as Christ, but to die would be gain. And yet I'm not ready to die yet. In other words, what we're saying is I want to know what it's like to be with him, to have him be fully reigning and ruling over my life. I want to know what that, that heaven reality is going to be like. I, I hunger for it. I want it. I long for it. If you're not even a Christian here in the room, you do too, by the way. Every one of you has been given a heart by God that hungers, that longs for the reality of everything to be made right the way God intended to be and to be with him. You may not know that, but you were made for that. You were designed for that. God created you with a hunger that's an eternal hunger to really be with God and experience the world he meant it to be. Every one of you has that in you. And all of us are longing for it every day and going to the wrong source to experience it. But ultimately, he wants you to find it to him. And so when she said that, I thought, man, that's perfect. That's so much like the idea that I want people to get. To, man, I want to go, I want to die and be with him, but I'm not ready to die. And what we're going to talk about today is in order to experience being with him, you're going to have to die. Every day. That's really what Jesus is talking about is this rule of, of kingdom life. The rule of God over your life is going to require a, a, a suffering, a death, ultimately, potentially a per Persecution. Jesus says to the Pharisees when they're, they're saying like, where, where is the kingdom? When's it gonna come? He says in Luke 17, 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, there it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Could also be translated within your grasp. Another, Jesus is in a sense kind of going, hey, clue, I'm right here. I'm the king, and I'm bringing the kingdom. That's why Jesus teaches us to, to pray in the, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, which we're gonna get to in this sermon later this year, when he says, you know, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, stop thinking it's a place you're gonna go to and start praying it's an experience you have. Stop thinking it's a future reality only and start praying that it might be a present reality in your life, that God's rule and reign would be experienced in your life in this moment, ideally every single day. 
to, in order to understand this kingdom of heaven concept, you have to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, and you, you rehearse how God created the entire world, and he, he made it as an expression of his very invisible attributes. Paul says in Romans 1.20 that the very created reality that we see around us is screaming out the invisible attributes of God. That you want to know what God's like? You look at his creation because it displays what you can't see because you can't see God, but you can see his creation and his creation is a display of what he's like. And then he makes Adam and Eve as his image bearers. And I love what you heard Tripp say, this idea that man, I, got, I need to stop looking at people like they're part of a factory and start seeing them as humans, as image bearers of God. We'd treat everybody differently if we saw everybody that way, wouldn't we? And he his story is so good about that, but let, let just know that when God created Adam and Eve, he, he created them to be a display of what he's like, and the way they were meant to relate was to be a display of what he's like and how he relates, and the work they were to do was to be a display of how he does work, and everything they were about was meant to be a way of saying, this is what heaven looks like when it shows up on earth, and the garden wasn't uh, somehow like earth and then heaven's far away. The garden was the intersection of earth and heaven in one place. God amongst his people while they're doing their work. That's, that's what the garden was. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve, instead of submitting to God as the ruler and them expressing his rule as co-regents on his behalf to the world, they turned away from God and turned to a false God. They turned to Satan. They believed the lie of the evil one. And in other words, they repented. Do you know what repent means? Repent means to turn from one God to another. We tend to think repentance is a change in behavior. But it's, first of all, a change of belief. It's a change of worship. So they, they turn from worshiping and submitting to God to worshiping and submitting to Satan. And that's why the Bible calls him the ruler of this world. Because in that moment, they took the authority God had given them over the earth and just handed it off to another ruler. And you want to know why there's so much brokenness and, and destruction all around us? Because we're submitting to the wrong king. Whenever people tell me, come to me and go like, what, man, there's, how could a good, loving God just allow all this evil to happen? How can, I mean, we look around, how can he be good and loving? And I would say, the question we probably should ask is how can good, loving people made in the image of God keep rejecting and rebelling against the good, loving God and submitting themselves to a destructive God called Satan and bringing all of that destruction into our lives? That's the question we should be asking is why in the world do we keep submitting to the wrong God? Why in the world do we keep living a destructive life in a way that betrays and denies the very giver of life himself? That's probably the question we ought to ask. We ought to take responsibility for the fact that we are not living as God intended us to live. Thankfully, God didn't end the story there. He called a people through Abraham, made a people called Israel, led them into another garden, if you remember. We call it the promised land. If you're new to the Bible, that's kind of the narrative of the Old Testament. He leads them into this place, sets them up with everything they need, says, I'll be your ruler in that place. And what do they do? They look around at the other nations and they go, man, they've got a human king. Why can't we have a human king? And God goes, you guys are stupid. That's Jeff's words. But fundamentally, he says, you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking for a ruler that's just like the one you submitted yourself to before. Broken, sinful. It's not gonna go well with you. But he gave them what they wanted, which is what God continues to do for all of you. Some of you, you've been begging to have a life without God and you're experiencing life without God. 
And God's going, I'm just hoping that you'll come to a point where you go, this isn't the life I was made for. This is not the life I want. I want a different life. And God goes, I'll let you have what you want and let it do to you what it will. And then I pray you'll come back. God is hoping for you to turn and repent. Turn to the right God. That's his desire for you. That's what he's doing in your heart right now. Some of you are in the room and God is calling you to submit to the right king so that you can experience his kingdom. Of course, Israel doesn't do a good job of this. I love reading the Bible with new believers. They, you know, if they start in Genesis, they get partway through and they're going, so if this is the kind of life for God's people, like why in the world would I want to be a part of it? These people are all jacked up. I go, no, no, no. The point of the Bible is not to give you a code or a list of rules so you, you'll actually try to be the kind of people God wants you to be. Most importantly, it's to show you that none of you will and none of you can. That the entire narrative of the Old Testament is revealing all of us fall short. All of us mess up. Even the best kings, even the best prophets, even the best priests were a mess all the way through the Old Testament. What are they doing? What is God doing? God's going, I want you to hunger for a true king. I want you to long for the real kingdom. I want you to understand that can only be found in me. And that's why the prophet said, there's gonna be a king and that king will be called Messiah. And that Messiah will show up as the anointed one of God, filled with the spirit who will obey God as a perfect son like Israel did not. And he will do for you and I what we could not. And he will be the king that nobody was ever not. He will be the king of kings. And so Jesus is that king. Jesus is that Messiah. That's why Jesus can say when he shows up, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is he saying? He's saying, turn from all the other kings and turn to me. The king is here. The kingdom can be realized. Repent, it's in your midst. That's why when the Jews heard what Jesus was saying, they freaked out. Do you understand? Like We, we, we hear it and we think, what Jesus is saying is, someday you're all gonna go to heaven when you die and here's the way to get there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, heaven just showed up on earth in me. And you can understand why some of the religious leaders are having a hard time with Jesus because then they're saying, if heaven is in Jesus and Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to earth and everywhere he goes, people are experiencing the rule of reign of God expressed, then why in the world is he hanging out with the people he hangs out with? Why is he, why is he loving people that are so far from God, it looks like? I mean, they're, they're messed up because they're going, what is going on? This makes no sense to us. And why isn't he just destroying Rome? And why isn't he riding in on a white horse? This is Palm Sunday, by the way. Well, he, he didn't do that. He's not like the kings of the world. He's not like Satan who uses power to destroy. Instead, he lays down his power to save it's almost like Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. He's going, I am Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. I'm the true and better king who fully submits to God in every single possible way. I'm here to express what God is like and how I relate to you. I'm, I'm here to give you the experience of the kingdom because everywhere I show up, it feels like the garden again. People are getting fed, people are getting healed, people are getting changed, people are being accepted and loved. It's like the kingdom of God is here. Why do you think it was so attractive and so rejected at the same time? See, here's the thing I want us to hear. Whenever you or I submit 
to King Jesus in any way, in anything, we get to have the experience of the rule and reign of God break in to our lives in that moment. You're, you're kind of going, man, my neighbor's driving me nuts. You know, they just, I don't, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to invite them over for dinner. I don't want to talk to them. And God says, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom knows how to open up your home, open up your life. The kingdom knows how to love those that are hard to love. In the kingdom of God, even the people that aren't, don't even belong get invited into the party, Jesus says later on when he describes it. And so you go, but I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't even like to do that. And he says, yeah, but I do. And so he says, let me be your king. Why don't you submit yourself and that issue to me and say, Jesus, I don't love like you do and I won't open up my home like you would and my, these neighbors are hard to deal with but you're the perfect king and wherever you go, the kingdom shows up and so I'm just praying you'd start by showing up in my heart and change my heart and change the way I love people, change the way I open up my home and just be the king over me in this situation so you, the kingdom of God can be experienced and the kingdom of heaven will show up in my life and through my life, my neighbors might get a taste of the garden again and hope for the future when all things will be made right and new. That, that's what it means when the kingdom of God is getting inherited. It's not just who's gonna go to heaven. It's who's gonna experience the rule and reign of Christ now and forever. And what do we call that? In a sense, it's heaven on earth. It's what the Bible writers call righteousness. It's what Justin last week said is shalom. It's where the life that we were meant to live is being experienced right now. It's where, where heaven and earth are kissing. They're interacting. They're coexisting. It's almost like a marriage. Heaven and earth being married, becoming one. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is the way of heaven lived on earth. So as we talk about righteousness, what you're gonna keep hearing is is Jesus say, there is a kind of life that is heaven on earth and I've come to deliver you to live it and to bring it so the world can taste heaven on earth so they might one day want to be a part of the new heaven and earth forever because they'll go, man, if this is just a foretaste of what will be, I can't wait to be there. You'll be like Maggie, man, I can't wait to see God. See, that's what Jesus came to bring. And what you're gonna find out in the coming verses as we continue through the, the Sermon on the Mount is you're gonna find out that Jesus is gonna call us to a greater righteousness. A righteousness that's nothing the world knows. So different. Nothing that religious people, in fact, even know. In fact, he says this when he clarifies that he didn't come to get rid of the law but to fulfill it. He goes on and says in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's another way of saying that the kind of righteousness that gets to experience the rule and reign of God is even better than the most religious people you could ever know. I mean, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were the best church members you could imagine. But there was a problem. 
Jesus calls them hypocrites at one point. And we tend to think, oh, a hypocrite is somebody who, who says one thing and does another, but that's not the biblical understanding of hypocrisy. The biblical understanding of hypocrisy is one who does one thing, but it's not actually true inside them. That their external behavior doesn't match their internal presence or character, okay? In fact, you, you might, you might sit, be sitting in this room going, I am, an, I am a morally upright person, I've never murdered, I've never committed adultery, I've never uh, lied, I've never robbed. You may go, I'm doing great. And then you hear Jesus go, well, if you've had hatred in your heart towards anyone, you're a murderer. If you've lusted after anyone, you're an adulterer. If you said yes with your mouth, but in your heart you meant no, you're a liar. If you look at what someone else has and you wish they had it, it's like robbing from them. You're a robber. Like, and all of a sudden, everyone in the room goes, oh no, we're in trouble. And that, that's actually the point of Jesus' preaching. He's gonna say, you need a greater righteousness. And the point is, there, it doesn't exist anywhere but in Jesus. He is the only one who is perfectly righteous for you and me. He's actually saying, what you really need is me. See, the righteousness Jesus is referring to is a wholehearted, whole person behavior that expresses the will and character of God both internally and externally. That's the righteousness he's gonna describe. And if you get through this whole year and you go, that is totally me, then you were not listening. You should get done with this year and go, we're all hopeless if it's not Jesus. We're all hopeless if it's not Jesus. He is the righteousness of God. He is the only one who perfectly fulfills the greater righteousness. And that doesn't mean, to be clear, that, that we're all just going, well, I guess we'll just let him be the righteousness and we'll sit back and not be righteous. No, 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 don't miss it. He, he, he wants to be for you the righteousness of God to make you acceptable before God to die on the cross for your unrighteousness so you'll be called righteous. And then he wants to fill you with the spirit because Jesus is alive. We're gonna celebrate that next week. And he sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts so the very righteousness of God might come and break in us, change us, and work through us to the world. So that we don't just, like the religious leaders we're gonna find out, have this kind of external religion with a deep, brokenness and dryness and coldness inside of us. So we don't just pray in public or mealtimes in order to be seen by others, but we have a deep, affectionate relationship with God and we walk in prayer. So we don't just give externally so people go, man, you guys really get behind the work of the church or because you get a tax break, but we give because we're generous. Like our Father in heaven is generous in giving us his own son. Like there's a day coming when we're not gonna probably get the breaks we get in this country anymore for our giving. And the question is, who will still be generous because they love to be like their heavenly father because Jesus changed their heart from the inside out. We don't just host people that we get along with. We open up our doors to those that we struggle to love. We don't just bless those who bless in return. We bless because we've been blessed by God through Jesus. 
See, there's a different kind of righteousness Jesus wants for us. He wants it to be a whole person, internal to external kind of righteousness, a flowing of the heart that overflows with the love of God into everything we do. And the only way you get that is if you get Jesus. You cannot produce this. You cannot force it. You cannot make it happen. It must be the spirit of God changing your heart and filling you with his presence so that you might experience and express the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake for your Yours is a kingdom, because what he's saying is nobody's going to get persecuted for righteousness sake if it isn't righteousness that looks like Jesus. And if it looks like Jesus, it's because you're submitting to the king who's working his life out of yours. And therefore, you'll say, bring it on, because I got Jesus. I I inherited the king and his kingdom, and it's evidenced by my persecution for him, not for me, not for my sin, not for my brokenness but for my righteousness that is Christ in me. And that's why the third theme that I want to end with here is we, we talk about the reality of what it means to experience the kingdom of God breaking into our lives and working itself in very everyday expressions is that the flourishing will suffer. They will. I don't want us to be surprised by that. In fact, you cannot really follow Jesus and walk in his ways and not suffer persecution. You can't. Why? Because the life of the kingdom is a revolt against the kingdom of this world. A life submitted to Jesus is another way of saying, I'm not submitting to any other kings. And when you submit yourself fully to Jesus, you're going to stand in the face of all the other kings that demand that you worship and follow them. Whether that's your job being your ultimate identity, your kids being your future significance, your money being the very thing that gives you security, whatever it may be, whatever your king is, whatever the kingdom is, is what you will serve. By the way, side note, you always fight for the king you worship and the kingdom you're a part of. You'll go to war for it. That's why what Justin was talking about last week, this idea of blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God. And he said, if we're gonna be a peacemaker, which is to bring shalom, the experience of the kingdom into our relationships, then you're gonna have to go to war in order to bring peace. He's not kidding. That's very true because you're gonna have to say, no more will I submit to the wrong king. No more will I support the wrong kingdom. Jesus says it this way. Whoever seeks to save or secure his own life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will find it. And you know what? The first suffering you're going to go through if you're going to experience the kingdom of God experienced and expressed through your life and in your life is dying to yourself. The Bible calls our old self under an old king living the old kingdom way of the world. The Bible calls that flesh. The Apostle Paul says we've got to kill our flesh. We've got to put it to death. Jesus says if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. What is he saying? He's saying the way of the kingdom, the way of greater righteousness, is you saying you're my king, I'm not. It's your kingdom, not mine. Whatever you say, I want to do, but I can't do it without you. And so the goal of the gospel is not that I would live a good life for you, but that you would live your life in through me that you would pour yourself out in my life and you'd pour out yourself into my relationships. But you don't do that unless you die to self. I hope you see this. The last several weeks in this entire sermon series has been about us saying, ultimately, you need 
somebody else. You can't save yourself. It's not about your self-ambition, your self-advancement, your self-promotion. This is about the king of kings and his kingdom and how badly you need him. Unfortunately, as soon as I say you have to die to yourself, there's this like, like, what does that mean, Jeff? That means I'm willing to put myself in second position. I'm willing to let others be more important than me. I'm willing to say, Jesus, your way is the way I want and your way is the way of laying down my life for the sake of others. And I'll tell you, every single time you say, Jesus, I want to live the life you saved me to live, you're gonna have to say, Jesus, you're gonna have to be the king who does it in and through me. And every time you do that, you're gonna experience the kingdom of God breaking in every single time. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You ever have those moments where you're like, like you feel what I'm feeling? You feel what I'm talking about where you go, my, my roommate is driving me nuts, but God's telling me to love them. What that's gonna mean, I'm gonna have to listen to them when they're talking all the time. And they talk too much. And then you go, okay, what does that mean? I'm gonna have to die to myself. I'm gonna have to ask to have, have Jesus be my ears so I can listen like he would listen. And now, now when I die in that moment and I express the kingdom of God with his help and power, have you guys ever experienced those moments? You go, that's the spirit of God. Like you, you just feel filled and you feel fulfilled. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen on any of this? Like, have, have any of you experienced the king? Any experienced the spirit bringing the kingdom into your life? And you're, and you're in those moments, you're like, I can't walk on water. And Jesus goes, come on, I'll help you. And you go, okay, I'll listen to him. I'll listen to that person I want to listen to. And then you do it and you're like, wow, I think I just got the life of Christ. I started to experience the presence of the spirit. By the way, side note, if we ever call you to something you could do without the spirit of God, we're calling you to the wrong stuff. I hear all the time in the church, God will never call you to something that you can't do. It's such a lie. That's like saying God saved you to live with by yourself, with your own power. No, he saved you so you would get him. He'll never call you to something that you can't do without his help, without his power, without his presence. So that's what the kingdom of God is. It's God inviting you into a life that you can't live without him and then he gives you himself so that he can live it in and through you. That's why it's blessed to be persecuted because you have the kingdom and you're willing to do anything for it because it's so amazing to be with God. You know why this is hard for us? Because we've all been taught to avoid pain. We've all been taught to fight for comfort. You know, when I was growing up, in order to like get a trophy, you had to win. Right? You actually had to win. Like losers didn't get trophies. Nowadays, kids just have to play the sport and show up and they all get a trophy. And you're like, what have we taught our kids? Right? Some of you are going, now you just offended me. It's okay. We've been taught to avoid suffering. We've been taught to avoid persecution. And unfortunately, if we live to save ourselves, we will die anyway. And some of you right now are sitting in your seat, dying on the inside, not getting to experience the life of the kingdom of God because you're not willing to die to yourself. Now, if you're not willing to die to yourself, you're never gonna die to the approval of others. You're never gonna be willing to face potential persecution if the biggest thing you're trying to do is keep saving yourself. 
And I, I want to I pause here and make sure I'm, I'm clear, that I'm clear on something. Some of you might be going, yeah, yeah. preach it, Jeff. We'd be preaching. We, we, if, we, if we stand up for Jesus, we'll get persecuted. And some of you are going, I've been persecuted a lot. And I just want to say, it might be because you are a jerk. Okay? Just to be clear, right? I can't tell you how many times I, I've had conversations with Christians like, yeah, man, I lost my job. And I'm like, why? Because you know, I did this, this, and this. And you're like, that was, that was like bad. Like you shouldn't have done that. You should have like submitted to your boss and did what they asked. And they weren't asking you to violate a law. You were just being a jerk. That's not persecution. Suffering for sin is not suffering for righteousness. Let's be clear on that. I was talking to a group of people there about their Super Bowl party and said, how was it? And one group said it was really good and the other group said it was really bad. And I said, why? And, they, and this is a missional community. And, and they said, uh, well, because, because like we, got to, like we, had not, we had non-Christians there and we got to like kind of debate them and show them how they were wrong. And the other group said, yeah, and they're never coming back. And I'm like, okay, that's not persecution. I had a friend who used to put a block of wood on the, on the, in, in a park and stand out with a bullhorn and, and yell out all these things about Jesus and, and repent and all this. And like probably a lot of what he said was true. But I would come to him and say, do you know any of those people? Do you love any of those people? Do you care about those people? He goes, man, I'm just trying to make sure I'm innocent of the blood of every person. So like I've said it, it's up to them now. And I'm like, that is not, when, when people are yelling back at you, they're just yelling back at you because you're yelling at them. Like that's not persecution for righteousness sake. That's not how Jesus lived. In fact, the only people he talked to like that were religious people. He was so gentle and loving and inclusive and brought people in so they could experience the kingdom of God. And then he'd tell them that he's the king. We tend to do the opposite. We tell them about the king, but they never experience the kingdom. We want to be the people who proclaim our king and live out his kingdom in flourishing ways that people go, I want to be a part of that kingdom. Family, I want to tell you, when I, when I interact with a lot of us in our church, especially our, our elders and our staff and our mission community leaders, and I, I hear so many times, we're just too, people are just too busy. They don't have time. Jeff, you're asking them to like have a meal with somebody. They just don't have time for that. People don't have time to have a relationship with people who don't know Jesus. People, people don't want to open up their home because they might ruin it. Or some, some of us are a little older and we did our thing with little kids. We're done with that. We don't want them around. We just want to be with people like us. And I just want to go like, did you read what Jesus said? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're not even willing to like kind of discomfort ourselves a little bit. Family, I, I want you to hear this as a loving rebuke. I was, I was going through the message with Janie and several times I teared up and she said, well, this is really emotional for you and I want to tell you Why? Because I love you, and I love the city, and I love the lost, and I don't want to prevent anybody from hearing and seeing the good news of Jesus. I don't, I don't do what I do just because I want to preach. I don't do this because I like Sundays. In fact, I don't like Sundays. It's the hardest day of the week for me. I work my butt off. I love it. I love you, but... Uh, but I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I want the king to get the fame he deserves. I don't want the kingdom to be experienced in this region. I don't want people to come to know Jesus, not just hear about him. I want them to see the kingdom of God in our lives. And I want to ask you, are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to say no to all the things that you've been saying yes to that are keeping you from living a life that shows what our king is like? <sighs> Thank you.
I have been thinking a lot about this and praying for our church. And I've been thinking, would Jesus have been persecuted and crucified if he lived the life we live? No, I doubt it. And I've wondered if he suffered and died to save us from our sins so we could live a life of righteousness, would he have been, would he have come and showed up and said, yeah, the life you're living is what I died for. And you could say, yes, he died for the life that we are, are living that's wrong. But I, wanna, I just want to ask you, when's the last time you asked the question, am I living a life that was worthy of Jesus' death? He's our king. And his kingdom is like him. So we shouldn't be surprised if he might call us to die so that others might know him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you suffered for us that you were rejected for us, that you were insulted for us, that you were so wrongly understood. People didn't get you. We still don't. We're gonna spend the next year just trying to learn how to walk in your ways. Thank you that you died. Thank you that you died for our unrighteousness. All of us in this room have to say, Jesus, we didn't live the life. Only you did. Thank you for going to the cross for us to pay for our sin. Thank you that you rose again to pour out life into our cold hearts, to make them soft and loving and caring, to make our lives changed forever. Would you fill us with your spirit and empower us to live out the life you saved us for? And Lord, would you enable our lives to flourish for your glory, for our joy, And for the good of a city that doesn't know how great you are yet, help us. And when we suffer, help us to count ourselves blessed because ours is the kingdom of heaven because you are the king of heaven and earth. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.